Well, good morning. Hope everybody's doing good. Had a good week. We're glad to see you and me welcoming to First Baptist. If you are a guest, there are some cards inside the um, pews there. You can get more information about our church or there's a QR code on the very back. If you look on the very back page, I want to remind you the Wednesday night meals are going well, but it would be really helpful if you'd sign up by Monday, okay? Um, we have a lot of folks still signing up on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, and that's okay. We want you to be there, but they need to know how many to cook for. So please, if you could sign up by tomorrow, by tomorrow at 2 o'clock, that'd be really, really helpful. We're glad you're here. Ladies, there's an event taking place tonight, and they have a video. Let me call your attention to the screen. My wife will kill me, but I'm from Sand Mountain, and when you pour liquor in mason jars, that's usually moonshine. So um, <laughs> we, <laughs> we don't want you to get filled with that, but we do want you to be filled with living water. Um, Josh, keep a notebook of things not to say when you're a pastor. That's one of them. But, um, <laughs> it is a great event. It's ladies from both of the services, and then different ladies from both services share their testimony. It's a time of worship and prayer. And it'll be tonight. You don't have to sign up for it. We'd love to have you come and be a part of that. You can look at the other uh, announcements that are there. I just want to thank you. Um, how many Valentine's things did we do for the VA? A hundred. We were able to give a hundred um, veterans from the VA's home um, Valentine's baskets. So thank you so much for, for doing that. And thank Allie and Barbara and others for heading that up. But we're glad you're here. Are you ready to worship? Let me call your attention to our, um, our, this is our last time this month for doing this particular call to worship, Psalm 63. Read it with me, please. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me, and then we'll have our scripture reading. God, we want to desire you like that. We want to thirst for the living water, and we thank you, Jesus, that you promise if we believe in you, you give us springs of living water that flow from within. So we praise you this morning, and we want to worship you as you deserve to be worshipped. Help us, Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
kind of wasn't on the same page here. There's a fountain, hymn number 224. Let's stand and sing.
Uh, this morning's reading is from Matthew uh, 43, or chapter 5, 43 through 48. You have heard it said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends the rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do, you, <clears throat> do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of the Lord.
invite you to turn your Bibles to the book of Colossians. We're going to look at those verses in just a moment, but would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gift of singing and especially the time we can sing and remember where we're going and what you've done to get us to that place of assurance. We give you praise and we give you glory this morning. And with the psalmist this morning, God, we ask that you would make us to know your ways, that you would teach us your paths, that you would lead us in your truth and teach us, for you're the God of our salvation and for you we wait all day long. We thank you, Lord, that your word tells us the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. And you make known to us, to your friends, your covenant. And so, God, we pray that you would make known to us your word today. We believe that these are letters from heaven. We believe that, Holy Spirit, you inspired Paul to write these words. And so as we read them and as we study them, we do so knowing that these are the words of life. And we need to hear from you. Lord, all around us, there are messages coming at us and every different angle, but we need a message from you. So, God, I pray that you would speak to us this morning. You know the many needs that are in this room, and you know the needs of those among us in our church membership. We want to stop and pray for those who have been so faithful for so many years, but health-wise, they're no longer able to come and Many of them are joining us today and listening either by radio or, or online. And, and God, we thank you for them and their faithfulness. And we pray for the, that you would bless them and comfort them and minister to them. And God, we thank you for the body of Christ. And we just ask, Lord, now that you would speak to us very clearly through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we looked at verses 11 and 12, and today we want to look at verses 13 through 15, but I want to read 11 and 12 so that we have the context. And remember, it's all flowing from what he said in verse 10, that we've been filled in him, uh, who, is, who is filled with the fullness of all deity. So we've been filled in him. Remember that as we stand in honor of the reading and the preaching of God's word. Verse 11, this is last week's text. In him you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of flesh, the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Now here's our text. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. 
So last week, we, we looked at what Paul called the, the circumcision made without hands. He also refers to it as the circumcision of Christ. And he's tying that in to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And, and Paul continues that idea in our text. But in these three verses, the more I studied, I just, it just hit me that, that what we see here is the call of, of, of the doctrine of justification. We find justification in this passage. And, and I'll just remind you as we look at, at this passage that justification, the Bible teaches us that, that we are justified by faith alone in Christ alone. And that word justified is a legal standing that we have now before God. God has declared us to be not guilty of all of our sin. And he has declared us also to be righteous with the righteousness of Christ. So when we're born again, we're justified. It's by faith in Christ. And as we come to that justification... God, our righteous judge, declares us to be not guilty, and he declares us to be righteous with the righteousness of Jesus. Now, the question is, how does God do that? I know that God can do anything he chooses to do, but, but how does a holy God forgive sin? How does a holy God take sinners and declare them not guilty and how does a holy God take sinners and declare them with righteous, to be righteous? We see it in our text today. And I want us to dig in and just look again at three things. And they're real simple points. The first one is, let's look at what we were. At what we were. Look at what he says. And you who were dead in your trespass. What does he mean? Because the people that he's writing to are alive. How can he say to living people, you were dead? Let's go back just for a moment in our minds, or if you want to turn there, you'll see it on the screen, to, to Genesis chapter 2. God is created a garden. He's placed Adam in the garden and put him there to work it and to keep it. He's given them everything in the garden to enjoy. There are two trees there that specifically are mentioned. There's a tree of life that, that they're there to enjoy, but there's also a tree. And God says in, in Genesis 2, 15 and 16, and the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. God told Adam, and Adam and Eve both knew that if they were to eat of that tree, they would die. But we know from the Scriptures that when Eve ate of the fruit and gave it to Adam who was with her and he ate, they did not immediately drop dead. They lived many years later and continued. So was God wrong? No. God had in mind not just physical death, 
but spiritual death. They died spiritually the moment they ate of that fruit. And because they were spiritually dead, they eventually were physically dead. Same is true of all of us. Paul says it in Romans 5, verses 12 through 14. He says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that's Adam, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Adam, the first Adam, and and Paul identifies Jesus as the second Adam, and Jesus did not fail where Adam did fall, but Adam's spiritual death impacted every human that came from him. Because of his spiritual death, we're born spiritually dead. And because of that, Jesus teaches many things in the Gospels that back this up. Listen to what Jesus said. Luke 9, 60, you know this verse. A man, Jesus comes to a man and he says, he said, follow me. But the man said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now look at what Jesus is saying. Someone is physically dead, and Jesus says, leave the spiritually dead to bury the physically dead. You come follow me. It's what Paul means when he says that you were dead. Maybe the fullest account of this is Ephesians 2. It's very similar to our text. But in Ephesians 2, Paul describes our life outside of Christ. He said in verse 1, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also once lived in the passion, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Paul says it in Ephesians. He says it in Colossae. He says it and traces it back. Paul would have known what we call the Old Testament. He knew the account in Genesis because he writes about it in Romans. It's what we see that those who are outside of Christ, 1 Corinthians 2, 14, unable to, to, to understand spiritual things. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, blinded by the God of this age. Romans 8, 8, hostile toward God. Ephesians 4, 18, darkened, alienated, ignorant, and heart of heart. That's all descriptions of what it is to be dead, to be spiritually dead. It's, It's every person outside of Christ. The good news is, if you're in Christ, that's what you were. If you're not in Christ this morning, it's what you are. But if you're in Christ, it's 
what you were. So let me get us to some better news, okay? Let's, let's get to the good news here. Look at what we are now. If you're in Christ, it's a big if. If you're in Christ, look at the text again. And you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. You were dead in your sin. But look what he said. God made alive with him. You who were dead, God made alive together with him. When Christ died, we die with him. And when Christ rises through faith, we are raised with him. The action that brings us from death to life is God the Father brings us resurrection. He brings us to life. The rest of the passage explains how, but, but let's just spend some time here for a moment looking at this. God made alive. God made alive. We were dead. We were dead like Lazarus. And God called us forth. We experienced through faith the resurrection power of Jesus. He's, he's describing the moment that we were saved, the moment that we were converted, the moment we placed faith in Christ. We were dead, we're now alive. Over and over, we find these words in him and with him, this union with Christ. And now he's explaining to us how this union comes about. God the Father takes those who are spiritually dead and he, he quickens them. He brings them alive. He brings us from death to life. Jesus spoke about this, didn't he, with Nicodemus? He said, we must be born again. To be born physically is not enough. You have to be born of the Spirit. You have to be born again. You have to be born and made alive. It's what Peter says, 1 Peter 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. He says in 1 Peter 1.23 that this is through the word of God. The preaching and the sharing and the teaching and the reading of the word of God. It's, it's Ezekiel 36 where, where a new heart is given to God by God. It's, he promises a new heart. It's it's Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, where by grace through faith and not by works, we're, we're born again, we're, we're saved. It's, it's clear in John 3, 16, isn't it? That we must believe in him. Whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. It's clear in the moment we believe in him, that moment we, we are born again, the, the word is shared. And, and when the word's shared, when we share the gospel, the spirit does two things in the hearts of the people we share with. They, they're so closely related that, that we really can't even define it. We just see it. The spirit convicts and the spirit quickens. Many of you have shared your testimonies with me that you've 
heard the gospel of God and you heard the preaching of the gospel and, and you didn't want anything to do with it, but all of a sudden you heard it and it was different and the Spirit convicted you and, and all of a sudden you were alive and you called out to God for salvation. The grace of God the grace of God that would convict the dead man and quicken him and bring him to life. That's who we are in Christ. It's who we are in Jesus. The moment we're made alive together with him, we're saved through faith, and in that moment we're quickened and we're brought into life, and, and we never have to fear death again. We're alive. This old, body, this old body goes into the ground, but, but Jesus says that, that the moment we believe in him, we live even though we die. That's who we were. That's who we are if we're in Christ. If you're not in Christ, it's who you are. You're dead, and it's who you could be if you would call upon God. But how? Look. How does that happen? How does it happen? What does God do? These verses are just marvelous. He, he brings us from death into life. We were born into the first Adam. We're born again into the second. We, we, we were born in, 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 with a sin nature, and the sin nature sins. And we're condemned because of it. But now we've been given a new nature. And, and, and now we're no longer condemned. But, but now we're born in the Spirit. And because of the Spirit, we begin to walk in Him and grow in Him. And, and Paul says, five things take place for that to happen in your life. Five things happen when you are brought from death to life. And, 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 and I'll just give you one word, one word answers here, one word points, but, but we got to look at the whole phrase. The first one is, is that we're forgiven. We're forgiven. Look at what he says. He, he, he's teaching us, he's preaching to us, and he says at the end of verse 13, God made alive together with him, having, having forgiven us. Look at that little word, glorious word. All our trespasses. Not some of your trespasses. Not a part of your trespasses. All. That's why Paul could write, and it seems like I quote this verse every Sunday. That's why he could write those words in Romans 8.1. Therefore, therefore now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He forgives all our sin. You are in Jesus no longer condemned. The very thing that, that caused our death, that very thing came from, from, that came from death, that very thing is forgiven. But how? How does a holy God forgive sin against him? God's holiness demands that he punish sin. How does he forgive? Look at the second point. He says, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us. 
by canceling the record of debt. Some have said that this canceling is, is an IOU. That we had an IOU with God and God canceled it. I, I don't see it so much as, as an IOU as it is God's YOM. You owe me. We owe God because sin must be punished and, and our sin nature and that sin that, that sin that has been committed, that sin in our actions and our words and our thoughts, that sin must be punished. And, and Paul says that God takes that transgression that we've committed and he writes it down as a record of debt. The word is, is a word that, that speaks of handwriting. A record, a handwritten record of debt. It's, I think it's just a word picture for us. We know in the Bible that God has books. But, but we, we see that, that, that this word picture, God takes the record of debt. He takes every sin. I, I want you to hear this. Every sin that you ever acted on and ever thought about and ever thought in your mind and ever spoke into being, every single sin from the moment that you sin, your very first sin, to the moment that you die, God takes that entire record of debt and he cancels it. Oh my goodness. The grace of that, that record that held against us, God took and he canceled it. It's, it's a word that, that literally means just to erase it. It's wiped away. It's gone. And this is, this is the picture. We, we got Judge Furr and Judge Minor here today. And, and, and here's the picture. In the heavenly courtroom, the accuser comes. I want you to get this. The accuser comes accusing you of all that you have done. And God the Father, the righteous judge, rules it inadmissible. It's not admissible anymore. It's been canceled by the great judge. How? How does he do it? He just keeps building. Paul says that the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands... All that law that was given that, that, that God gave to us and that we sinned against. All the law that we've sinned against God, he, he says he, he set it aside. This he set aside. Set aside. Douglas Moo in his commentary said that he translated that word set aside as he removed it from the situation. He removed it. God set it aside. That record of debt, he, he removed it. Piper said it this way. He said it's, it's taken from the midst. It's gone. It's removed. The one who rules it inadmissible says, get it out of my presence. It's gone. From the east to the west to the sea of forgetfulness. How can it be? How can God forgive? How can God cancel? 
How can God remove? Because all these things are not fairy tale things. These are actual sins. How can he do it? Look at the fourth thing. <laughs> Nailing it to the cross. Nailing it to the cross. The king of kings nailed to the cross. The Lord of lords nailed to the cross. Yes, there was Pilate's inscription on the cross. Yes, Jesus was nailed to the cross. But Paul says in the spiritual realm, as Jesus is nailed to the cross, our record of debt, our sin, was nailed to the cross with Jesus. He takes our sin and he puts it on Jesus. And listen, we struggle with the imputation of, of, of Adam's sin to us. But, but listen, I, I struggle more with, with how in the world could Jesus' righteousness be imputed to me? I know what I am. But here I am with Adam's sin and my sin, and God nails that sin to the cross with Jesus. This is substitution. Jesus died in our place. We are justified. Hear me. We are justified by the atoning work of Jesus and by the atoning work of Jesus alone. Now, let me help you today. When Jesus died almost 2,000 years ago, how many of your sins were in the future? All of them. All of them. Nailed to the cross. All the sins you've ever committed, all the sins you will ever commit are nailed to the cross. They are removed from his presence. They are, they are declared inadmissible. They are wiped away and they are forgiven. That's why, again, Paul says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's why he ends that chapter with, there is therefore now, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now there's one more thing he says. God, look at verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. God the Father is the one doing this. God the Father, through the work of God the Son on the cross, does this. And, and almost every translation says he disarmed. I'm not sure that that's the best translation of that. It's, it's the same word all the way over, just another page for you in chapter 3, verse 9, where he says, put off the old self. He disarmed, and then he uses the word put off. And, and I think the idea is, is that God stripped. He stripped. He stripped the rulers and authorities. And we've been looking at those rulers and authorities all the way through Colossians. He stripped them, and he openly shamed them on the cross. I think, I think that that he, what he's saying, and, and I got a lot of help here, okay? So this is, this is not coming just out of my head. This is several commentaries and preachers help me with this. I think he does a couple of things here. When Jesus rose from the dead, and in his death and resurrection, 
through faith that is applied to us. And when he does that, when he applies that, that, that resurrection, that, that when, he, when he does these things, he forgives us, he cancels, he removes, he nails. When he strips, when he does that, Satan and his demons, they lose the ground for accusation. It's one of Satan's chief tools. He's his accuser of the brethren. The, the accuser of the brethren has, has lost his basis for accusation. That's why we rest in Romans 8. We're not only not guilty, but in God's eyes, we're righteous. We're righteous with the righteousness of Christ. We, he'll say it in chapter 3, verse 3. We, we are hidden with Christ in God. And so he, he takes away their chief tool, accusation. But the other main tool that Satan has is death. And, and, and through the resurrection, he takes away that tool. We, we don't have to fear death. The sting of death that Paul speaks of is not applied to the sins we've committed. We, we deserve punishment. We deserve to die. We deserve eternity apart from God. But through faith, God removes the stinger. We don't have to fear it. Hebrews 2, and if you're looking for some great Bible study, let me plug again, Ed's teaching Hebrews and on Wednesday nights, it's a wonderful study, and, and I encourage you to come and join it. But in Hebrews 2, he says that through death, Jesus through death destroyed the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. Through his death, he destroyed. Now, he still has power. He's still roaming around like a lion. He's still trying to devour. He's still doing what he does, but, but he's like a wasp without a stinger. I had a bad habit as a child of always climbing. I was always in the emergency room. But I'd get up. My dad had this shed, and I'd get up in his rafters and climb all around and jump around. And, do. and one time I got up in that rafters of that shed, and, and there was a red wasp nest, and I got into them. I, I, I remember that every time I see a wasp. You ever been stung by a yellow jacket? I got stung by one on the lip. I gladly poured gas in that hole that night. I'll just tell you that, of that yellow jacket nest. But, but I'll tell you, when I see a yellow jacket or I see a wasp, I remember those two times. But what if you got up in a shed and there was a wasp nest and you knew those old wasps didn't have a stinger? I'm not afraid of a wasp without a stinger, are you? Jesus, through his resurrection, did to Satan what it would be like taking a wasp out of a, a stinger out of a wasp. His two greatest weapons, accusation and death, are removed. We don't have to fear them. But get this, we're... Third thing I want you to see is, is we're delivered not only from the dominion of sin... But one preacher said it this way. In Christ, we're delivered from the dominion of sinning. I want you to hear me clearly. I don't mean perfection. But I say to you, 
that in Christ we are delivered from the dominion of sinning. Listen to what John says. We struggle with these words. 1 John 3, 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. I'm not saying you no longer sin. But the power that made us sin is lost men and women. That power has been crucified. Power has been stripped. And the Holy Spirit's now in us. And by walking in the flesh, we don't gratify, by, excuse me, by walking in the Spirit, we don't gratify the desires of the flesh. And, and we're free in God to be holy. We'll study that in Colossians 3, but, but I do want to just close with this great verse. Look at the end of, of verse 15. God, God the Father triumphed over them in Jesus. Triumphing over them in Jesus. The picture here is a Roman soldier coming back from his conquest. One, one particular Roman soldier conquered Macedonia. And one of the Roman historians described it as, as, as what happened as they came into the city He says the entire city of Rome gathered. They were dressed in white. They were in stands. They made like bleacher-like things for them to sit in. And they they, they filled the streets. And and on the first day, on the first day, 259 chariots came through the city with statues and pictures and images that had been taken out of Macedonia. On the second day, the historian said innumerable wagons loaded with the armor of the conquered army came through. And following those innumerable wagons were 750 wagons filled with silver and other treasures. And then on the third day, 120 oxen were prepared for sacrifice and taken through the city And then all the gold that they took out of Macedonia. And then the conquered king's servants. And the conquered king's children. And the conquered king's wives were marched through the city. And then the king himself, the Macedonian king, was marched clad in black. Followed by endless numbers of prisoners were taken through the city. The historian said, after all of that, finally came the victorious general in his chariot, followed by the victorious army. And Arkin Hughes said this, in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, God the Father achieved a great victory over the powers of this world, making a public spectacle of them. He wants us to see that though they still exist, they are defeated. Satan's demons have been sentenced to be in the train 
of God's victory parade. Thus, we no longer need fear the outcome of the battle with evil. Christ has conquered. And in Christ, we have conquered. And in Christ, we will conquer. And that is all in Christ. Amen? So the question for you this morning, as we look at those three points, is based on the last five things. Can you say, it's what I was, I was dead? Or do you have to say, I'm still dead? Can you say, I've been resurrected with Christ? And if you've been resurrected with Christ through faith, then you've been forgiven. The record's been canceled, removed from the presence of the king, nailed to the cross, and even the enemy has been stripped ultimately of all power over you. I studied this, and it dawned on me. That's why Satan hates us so much. Our faith is a testimony to his defeat. Amen? Let me ask you to bow your heads. The ladies are going to play just for a moment. We're going to sing in just a minute. But as we do, I just want you to, again, just stop for a moment and answer that question. Can you say that's what I was? Have you been born again? Does the Spirit of God live inside of you? If you've been born again, all that he says about being dead and sin is what you were. If you've not been born again, it's what you are. the Spirit is moving in your life, listen to Him and call upon Him and be saved. Jesus' death is a death that is applied to you through faith and, and you can trust in Him. And he's, His death is, becomes your death and His resurrection becomes yours. And his Spirit comes to live inside of you. It's all through faith. I want you to hear me. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You call. He'll save you. Just, just for a moment, consider that. and Ask the Holy Spirit to show you who you are in Him. And I know I know that many of you are still you're battling and struggling with sin and I don't just mean sin practice we all still battle with sin but you still battle with the guilt of sin from the past something you've done and you just wonder how could God forgive it some of you have been convinced that because of your sin, you could never be forgiven. I want you to hear what the text said today. There's not a sin 
that you've ever committed or will commit that wasn't in the future when Jesus died. You don't have to live under that guilt anymore. He's removed it from his presence. He's chosen to forget it, to remember it no more. Live in that freedom. And by the Spirit, live in the freedom of holiness. God, that's my prayer for all of us. My prayer is that we'll learn to live this way. But I know that it's not possible unless we've died with Christ. And if we've died with Christ, then we know that we will rise with Christ. I just thank you, Lord, for that truth of the gospel. Thank you for justification. Help us, Lord. Help us to walk in your spirit. Bless this time now as we sing in Jesus' name. Amen. If God's calling you to do something public, we invite you to come. Tim and I will be here to meet you. You come. be seated for a moment. Let me introduce to you, um, this is Derek and Alex, um, Alexandria, but goes by Alex Suggs, and Sylvie Suggs, and she is the boss. She's in charge. And, uh, but they are coming to join our church. We met with them last week, and, and, and they've both been saved and both been baptized. And I think, um, Alex, is that your parents that are here? We're so glad y'all came here today. And, and so I just want you to welcome them and let them know how much you're glad that they're here. If you welcome them, would you say amen? amen. And we are glad you're here. Uh, I was in a restaurant the other day, and a young couple like you, and they had a little girl about that age. And 
and she was having one of her little girl moments, you know, in the, in the, in the <laughs> breakfast place. I went to Dad, and I said, Dad, I just want you to know it gets better. And he looked at me, and I said, I got four. I said, uh, having grandkids now, it gets better. And he said, uh, he said, what about when they're teenagers? I said, uh, <laughs> she's going to be a monster about eighth grade. And she's going to hate your guts. And then about tenth grade, she'll start loving you again. He said, I don't want to talk to you anymore. <laughs> so, but not her. We, we are so glad y'all are here. We really am. And um, so y'all come by and welcome them. And, and, and please stay and be a part of a Bible study. Don't forget to sign up for Wednesday night meal. And listen, if you want to talk about the gospel, if you want to talk to me about making sure that you know that you're saved, I'd be happy to talk to you about that. I would love to do that. Any of our ministers would love to meet with you. Let's stand up and come by and greet. Our ushers will be at the door. Please give your offering. God bless you.